Hi there, Peds and Pods listeners. It's your host, Ashley Grigsby, and I am here with Dr. Angela Shaw, who is our pediatric hematologist, oncologist, and extraordinaire. Uh, She is an assistant professor at the University of Kentucky in hematology and oncology, and we are so glad to have her here today to talk about platelets. We're going to break it down with Dr. Shaw and hopefully understand this whole little thing a little bit better. Sound like a plan? Yep. All right. We need to kind of, I think, start with the overview of platelets and talk about quantitative and qualitative disorders of platelets. Yeah. So quantitative disorders of platelets are problems due in production or decreasing the lifespan of platelets. So um, either your body's not producing them enough or your body's doing something where it's consuming the platelets and decreasing their lifespan. They are always going to present with thrombocytopenia because you're either not making enough of them or they're getting used up or breaking down somewhere. So quantitative platelet disorders are always going to have thrombocytopenia as a presenting symptom. Qualitative platelet disorders, on the other hand, are really a problem with the function of the platelets. Um, So it's the function or morphology that is wrong. So there'll be a normal number of them, but they just don't work right. Um, And so they sometimes present with thrombocytopenia or very mild thrombocytopenia, but most of the time your body's making enough platelets, they're just not working right. So they will present with symptoms, but no thrombocytopenia. Okay, yeah. Quantitative, you don't have enough. Qualitative, they don't work very well. But you might have yep. plenty. Yeah, well, I get. I've had this come up a lot with residents where I work in with bleeding on aspirin, and they're like, "Well, their platelets are normal," and I'm like, "Yeah, but they don't work, so it doesn't mm-hmm. matter." And I think sometimes people do get that kind of confused. Well, if they have normal platelets, then it's not a platelet problem, but that's just not true. Yep, that's exactly it. All right, so let's start with some quantitative ones. So that's not enough platelets. How about some thrombocytopenia in neonates? You want to do that one first? Yeah, so neonatal thrombocytopenia is a pretty common consult for anybody who works in in PT month. Um, And there are kind of, we think of as five main causes of neonatal thrombocytopenia. So the first one is some kind of impaired production. Um, So that's when you have um, a baby who's IUGR, there's been some perinatal drug use, there's some kind of placental insufficiency or some hypoxemia, and there's some cause something where their bone marrow just can't make enough platelets, so they're thrombocytopenic. So that's the first one. More common than that, I think, is the second cause, which is consumption or sequestration. Um, this is your NICU baby who's got neck, who's got RDS, who sometimes they can have an infection and they have splenic sequestration of their of their platelets. Or another one that we can see present in babies are babies who have large hemangiomas um, that a lot of um, the platelets are kind of getting stuck in that hemangioma. So this is probably one of the more common ones we see, particularly with neck and RDS in the, in the PICU. Or, sorry, the NICU. Kind of along the same, same line is, is infection. You can have, um, that's the third one, you can have um, a baby who's bacteremic, who has sepsis from some sort of infection, or a baby who has a torch infection. Those can cause thrombocytopenia. And then kind of switching from those more common ones to a little bit less common ones, um, you can have, there are genetic and congenital causes of thrombocytopenia. They're super rare. We don't usually see them. Um, so they're less likely to kind of pop up on your test than something like a neck or a bacteremia. Um, and then the last one is the one that everybody always gets a little confused on, and that's the immune destruction. 
So what I always tell residents when I'm teaching neonatal thrombocytopenia and we're talking about immune destruction is, remember when we're talking about it, the baby has no antibodies. Any antibodies we're talking about are the mom's antibodies that have crossed the placenta. So sometimes people get autoimmune and autoimmune kind of confused, and it's because you're not talking about the baby's oh, antibodies, right. okay. the mom's antibodies. Got it. So, so in theory, the alloimmune, the one from moms, they would just like, eventually it's going to go away. Yep. Yep. So neonatal alloimmune thrombocytopenia is usually that baby that is a well-appearing baby, a well-appearing neonate, and for some reason or another, they've gotten a CBC and their platelet count is low. It's less than 50,000. I mean, really um, what it, it means is that what happens there is that mom and the baby have different platelet antigens. So when the maternal antibodies cross the placenta, they recognize that the baby's platelets are different from the mom's platelets, and they start destroying them. That, like, like you mentioned, will go away on its own, but while we do that, we have to support them through it. So we do that by checking their platelet count daily, making sure we do a head ultrasound to make sure a baby doesn't have an ICH. And then um, if their platelet counts are low, they're in the less than 30,000 range, we can actually do platelet transfusions. The gold standard is to actually give moms platelets, although I don't know that I've ever been in an institution who's ever been able to kind of manage to get platelets from the mom to give to the baby. Um, so really what we end up doing usually is um, giving donor platelets. Um, and when we give donor platelets, we also sometimes will give some sort of immune modulation, so either IVIG or steroids. Um, not always, uh, but if you're having to continually give them, um, sometimes we can um, have to do some immune modulation with that. And then it's just kind of uh, a waiting game for mom's antibodies to kind of burn out of the baby's system. And once the mom's antibodies are gone, the baby's platelet count will return to normal. Okay, okay. Um, what about neonatal autoimmune thrombocytopenia? Yeah, so when you're talking about autoimmune thrombocytopenia, again, remember that the baby doesn't make any antibodies of their own. So this is when you've got a mom who has a history of an autoimmune disorder, particularly a mom who has a history of ITP. And what happens is the mom's antibodies, again, are destroying both maternal platelets on mom's side, but also the neo the baby's platelets. Um, since usually moms are well-controlled or aware of this disease, they're kind of um, at lower risk because usually their immune systems are a little bit um, lower than as when they're pregnant than they are kind of when they're not pregnant. Um, so there's a little bit lower risk of bleeding in patients who have autoimmune thrombocytopenia rather than um, alloimmune thrombocytopenia. And usually what happens is the platelet count kind of bottoms out um, and the baby's about three to four days of age and they can kind of recover usually on their own by about a week of age. Sometimes it can take a couple of weeks, but usually they kind of come back up on their own. It's about outlasting mom's antibodies. For neonatal autoimmune thrombocytopenia, we don't usually treat unless the baby's having some clinical bleeding symptoms um, or if they're needing some sort of procedures. And then we kind of treat them usually with um, IVIG, about a gram per kilo for a dose or two, if, if needed, if they've got clinical bleeding. That's very interesting. Okay. Uh, cool. Uh so let's talk about neonatal thrombocytopenia if there's like a lot of siblings, like in the next kid. Yeah. So um, with neonatal autoimmune, so when the mom has a history of ITP, 
you're kind of resetting the clock and doing it all over again, just kind of the same risks. In neonatal alloimmune thrombocytopenia, future pregnancies are more severely affected. So if hmm. you're on pregnancy number one, um, and that, that pregnancy, you have neonatal alloimmune thrombocytopenia, you're risking the next pregnancy for neonatal alloimmune thrombocytopenia goes up, and the risk for severe disease goes up because the mom, mom's body's been ramped up because the platelet type is different, and so they're um, more severe uh, the further you go on into pregnancy. So it's something that we always tell moms that they need to talk to their OB guide about if they're having planning on having more kids. And then also because it's um, managing the mom during their pregnancy and the week prior to their delivery is is helpful. And so what they do usually for the moms um, is that in subsequent pregnancies, they can do some immune modulation, again, IVIG or steroids kind of prior to delivery to help kind of bring down mom's immune system, make it not so ramped up so that hopefully she doesn't pass on as many antibodies to the baby. And we talked about the, you know, the risk of intracranial hemorrhage, patients who, and babies who have neonatal alloimmune thrombocytopenia, there, there's always a risk for all of the babies. And the, actually the biggest risk factor for developing an ICH is having a sibling who had neonatal alloimmune thrombocytopenia who also had an ICH. So if you, your first baby, they have alloimmune thrombocytopenia and they also got an ICH, the biggest risk factor for their subsequent siblings is the fact that we've already had a baby who's had one. Yeah, that sucks. That's not a, that's, that sucks. That's all I got. That's all I got. Um, okay. Let's talk about other causes of thrombocytopenia like drugs and why does that happen? Yeah. So there are a lot of medications that can cause some thrombocytopenia, mild thrombocytopenia. And really what happens in those is you can have one of two things happening. Really you have the drug binding to the platelets itself, followed by the kind of the production of your body reacting with an anti-drug antibody. So that can be the first one, or you can have the drug and your body producing an anti-drug antibody anti-drug complex, and those are bound together, and then they bind to the platelet surface. And that's really what happens when you develop um, thrombocytopenia secondary to medications. A lot of it is transient because a lot of medications people are on are transient. You see it sometimes with certain antibiotics and things like that. So a lot of it is just getting it out of your system. Although if you develop significant thrombocytopenia um, and it's a long-term medication, it's something that we can sometimes recommend that they switch to a similar medication in the in the class to hopefully eliminate some of the thrombocytopenia. Okay. Uh, my favorite thing uh, ever, I'm reading this outline that you we did. So listeners, you don't know this, is that we give our, our, our people an outline based off of the outline that the boards gives us. And the question is, Recognize the laboratory findings associated with thrombocytopenia. And Dr. Shaw wrote, question mark, question mark, decreased platelet count, which is hysterical. Because why is that question? Yes. If your platelets are low, then they are low on your, on your blood. That's, the, that's rocket science. Yeah. So I'm thinking about this question Later on, I say, I think maybe what they're getting at is maybe they want me to talk about MPV, which, you know, we all, we all hear about MCV when we talk about anemias because we think about, you know, high MCV, low MCV, or normal acidic anemias. We do on a regular CBC have what is called an MPV, which is a mean platelet volume. And I don't think anybody blunt hematology ever looks at that. That's true. 
but kind of I maybe what they're getting at is that so you can have thrombocytopenia, but you can also have kind of uh, changes in the the mean platelet volume. So there are some platelet disorders that have smaller platelets. There are some that have larger platelets, um, and there are also things like ITP where you're just des- you're destroying platelets, but your body's making platelets. And one of the I think the important things is young platelets are bigger. Oh, okay. um, so if your body is trying to produce and push out more platelets because they're getting chewed up somewhere, um, your MPV is going to be a little bit higher. Um, probably because most of those, it's kind of like when you have anemia and you've got a reticulocytosis. Reticulocytes are bigger than red blood cells. Young platelets are bigger than old platelets. So if your body's like pushing them out, pushing them out, pushing them out, pushing them out, and you're thrombocytopenic, um, it, they can have um, an elevated mean platelet volume. I think maybe that's what they were trying to get about with this question. They just might not have worded it well. I think you might be right. I think I was pretty smart. I think you might be right because it's a dumb question otherwise. So Yeah, yeah. otherwise I'm not quite sure. (laughs) All right, so let's talk about this syndrome that I swear when I was studying for peds boards came up all the time and I – I'm going to be real. I don't even remember what it is now, so you're going to tell me. But when I was studying for boards, I knew this thing because it came up all the time. So what are the clinical findings associated with Wiscott-Aldrich syndrome? Yeah, so Wiscott-Aldrich, I think it's just a board's favorite all around in peds. I don't know why they love it so much, but it pops up on the peds boards. It popped up on my peds boards, um, even though it's not something we regularly see because um, it is, again, it's a – um, a rare disease, so it's a genetic disorder. Like many rare diseases, it's a recessive disorder. It's an X-linked recessive. It's a mutation in the WASP gene, which is the Wisconsin 100 um, protein is system protein gene, um, and really, it's um, a trio of um, three things. So you have small platelets that don't function well, okay, thrombocytopenia. Um, you can With have a low um, autoimmune um, manifestations. So you got hemolytic anemia, neutropenia, vasculitis, IBD, and eczema. And so okay. those are the big things. So if you see this this picture where you've got this kid who's got eczema and they've got some bleeding symptoms and they have thrombocytopenia, the boards are trying to get you to recognize Wisconsin-Aldrich syndrome. All right, and it's X-link recessive because we never heard of it, and it's the WASP gene. Is that right? Yes. Yep, like the bug. Like the bug. With Scott Aldrich, it's like AS. Yeah, okay. All right, cool. Yeah, uh, listeners, like, learn that one because I don't know why it comes up. It's, it's kind of dumb, but there you go. All right, what's TAR syndrome? So TAR is um, probably my favorite named um, syndrome in all of medicine. TAR is short for thrombocytopenia and absent radii syndrome. Oh, yeah, this thing comes up. This was on the boards all the time. See, you can tell it's been two years since I took boards. I forget. This thing was on there all the stupid time. Yeah, so it's my favorite name because it is the only one that tells you exactly what is going on. So the patients will present with no radius. (laughs) Absent radius, (laughs) that's the AR. They'll look different. They'll have no radius. You do x-rays and there's no radius there. And then they have thrombocytopenia. Um, so it's the perfectly named syndrome instead of some weird, you know, Wisconsin Aldrich has a name about, you know, people's names. This one tells you right up front what it is. These kids actually can present with more limb abnormalities than just absent radii. Okay. Sometimes they, you know, I've had a couple patients who kind of 
almost have amelia, so they don't really have much of an arm in general. Hmm. Um, or they have are kind of missing most of their forearm, like losing their whole forearm. Mm-hmm. They uh, also present them with thrombocytopenia. And so it's um, more of a management standpoint. It's just supportive care. So you do platelet transfusions for them until their platelet counts usually normalize. And that's occurs somewhere between one and two years of age for most of the patients. So some of them, if they're not particularly severely affected, can normalize at eight, nine, ten months of age where their platelet counts are normal. And then some other ones who have more severe disease, who have you know shorter limbs, who are missing more bone marrow overall, their platelet counts can take a little bit longer to normalize. So that was one that will show up on the board. So let's just show you an x-ray of a baby's arm and tell you that they're thrombocytopenic. What they want you to recognize is there's something wrong with the baby's radius and they've got this syndrome called TAR syndrome. And once their platelet counts normalize, these kids are pretty healthy. We follow them in hemoc just because that's kind of our thing. Um, but most of them we see once or twice a year at, at best, check what their platelet counts are, make sure they're not having any significant bleeding um, symptoms, but most of them don't. And so they're mostly just happy kids we get to see grow up. Oh, cool. Well, uh, that let's talk... We just talked about the things we'll never we never see except for you do I guess but like the regular people in the world don't really see but this one I see all the time. Let's talk about ITP. Yes. So ITP is everybody's least favorite disorder I think maybe. Um, so ITP is immune mediated thrombocytopenia and I think the reason everybody hates it or is frustrated by it is that like any immune process, ITP is incredibly variable and very patient dependent. Um, so some patients will have very mild symptoms, um, and have little, require little to no treatment. Um, and there are probably tons of patients who actually have ITP. Um, we just never know about it because their platelet counts are low, but not actually low enough to have them have bruising or bleeding. So there are probably plenty of people out there walking around with a little bit of ITP right now that we don't even know about. And then there's others who have severe and prolonged symptoms. What happens when it gets really bad? So the, the traditional teaching when you're thinking about ITP and its kind of natural history is that um, bleeding and new hemorrhages usually stop within um, a couple of weeks. Um, platelet counts usually start to rise in a little bit after that, somewhere in like two to four weeks. And then there is kind of data about how long it takes for um, platelet counts to normalize. So from what they historically found, platelet counts can normalize in about 40% of patients within six weeks and about 65% of them within six months, and 80% of them within 12 months. We do have, you know, that leaves 20% right there that don't have a normal platelet count, but really a lot of those patients um, a month or 12 months out or a year out, they won't have a normal platelet count, but they'll have a platelet count that kind of really prevents them from having any bleeding. So they may live for a while in the 90 to 100 range, which isn't normal, but is more than they need to kind of be able to function and live in everyday life and, you know, ride bikes and play games and play sports and all that stuff. So traditionally, they kind of resolve mostly within a year. Um, as a hemoc doctor, I feel like those numbers are skewed, but I think it's because we spend a lot of time with those kids who don't normalize and right. we follow them pretty closely. So that's kind of our patient population. But the natural kind of history is that most of them are going to normalize within six months and almost all are going to normalize within 12 months when we're talking about their platelet counts. Okay. And how do they normally present? Like what kind of bleeding do they have? Yeah. So usually they're kids who 
parents at first don't notice anything and then they start noticing red spots so petechiae and then they start noticing some bruising so most children present with only skin findings so petechiae and bruising and if they have any bleeding it's primarily mucosal they'll have a little bit of nosebleed they'll have a little bit of bleeding when they brush their teeth they may have a few petechiae in their mouths severe hemorrhage is rare in patients with itp unless they also happen to have had some sort of significant car accident or something like that when they're actually having ITP. Uh, But most of it is just kind of, we think of as mild skin findings primarily, which we as doctors say mild. It's very scary for families sometimes because they're covered in bruises and they're always afraid somebody's gonna try to take their kids away because they look like they abuse their kids that they don't. But most of the symptoms are pretty mild. Um, And usually you see kind of this um, significant platelet count, significantly reduced platelet count. So usually it's less than 20,000, and that's kind of our cutoff when we're thinking about management. So if you have a platelet count of 5,000, 10,000, uh, that's kind of where we're thinking about, mm, maybe we need to intervene if we're going to intervene. And what you kind of see on laboratory findings is you get, like we talked about earlier, kind of with that silly question about thrombocytopenia, and your body's making platelets, it's just your immune system is destroying them. So it's pumping out lots and lots and lots of young new platelets. So what you're gonna see on the the personal smear or on a CBC is that the mean platelet volume, the size of platelets are gonna be larger because the young platelets are larger and your bone marrow is still making platelets. Um, The rest of the CBC is gonna look pretty normal for an ITP patient. Um, They're gonna have normal hemoglobin, normal hematocrit, normal white blood cell count, normal MCV, they should have a normal differential. Um, you know, if they don't have those things, you maybe start thinking that, oh, there's something else going on there, maybe a leukemia. There are some kind of leukemias that initially look like ITP and then end up being a leukemia. Hmm. But um, most of the time, ITP is just going to be like, oh, everything's fine except your platelet counts low. Okay. And then you said you only really intervene in less, like if they're less than 20,000 or if they're like, uh, like a significant bleeding what do you do for treatment in those scenarios so i'm the answer of this is actually technically changing right now um the management of itp you know it used to be they did steroids um and then we tried um like winro and then we did ivig the most recent guidelines from ash which is the american society of hematology and oncology um, for peds and adults, for IT is the recommendation is for patients with ITP without any significant bleeding or large mucosal bleeding, um, is just to do observation, to kind of do precautions and you know avoid contact sports, don't ride your bike, things like that, um, and just kind of wait it out, wait till your immune system kind of calms itself down. I don't know if the boards are going to have caught up to that <laughs> yet because those are kind of um, new recommendations that are just about a year and a half old or so because they came at the end of, of 2019. So they're definitely not uh, Yeah, up. they're definitely not caught up. Um, before that, kind of, it was um, traditionally, we would do IVIG, which is a gram per kilo for one or two doses, um, which can produce um, a significant platelet count bump, um, especially after 24 to 48 hours after um, the infusion finishes. Um, another common one is steroids. Usually the big thing with steroids is that we want to have a peripheral smear done before before that, and sometimes even a bone marrow um, evaluation because you want to make sure that this ITP isn't um, a leukemia masquerading as an ITP before you give the patient steroids. Okay. That was part of the reason we kind of transitioned as a, a kind of hemoc providers as a whole from 
steroids to IVIG um, was just going to make sure that we're not accidentally treating leukemias. Um, so those are what we would usually do. And then there are also El Trombopag, which is uh, tells your liver to make more platelets, basically. So we do that for some patients who have chronic um, ITP that are still kind of in the low range. Um, so chronic ITP is ITP that's six months or longer. And there are those small subgroup of patients who kind of for six, eight, 10, 12 months will hang out in the 40,000 platelet count range. Um, and so we try to give them a little bit of boost with, with some of those medications because it's a daily medication that they can take at home. Cool. Um, I think the important thing with ITP is don't ever give them platelets because you're just wasting a unit of platelets. Their immune system's going to destroy it probably before you finish the platelet infusion and you can actually kind of make their symptoms worse. So okay. that's the big thing. Don't automatically jump on and go, someone's throwing a cytopenic, let's give them platelets. If you're, if you're ITP, you're just actually going to make it worse. Very interesting. All right, so that was a lot on the quantitative thing, side. Um, there are just kind of some rare crap on the qualitative side, so we, we can probably do it fairly quick, but can we talk about like the four disorders of qualitative platelet, platelet disorders? Yeah, so these are the kind of, I put four on here, because they're usually the big ones that yeah. show up on, um, on tests. I think, pretty sure I was asked on one of my step tests about one of these, and I was asked on my PEDS boards about one of them, and I was asked on my HEMOC boards about one of them. Um, so these are the ones that just kind of pop up, and we all memorize them for a little while, and then even us hematologists sometimes have to go back and look, okay, which deficiency is that one? Um, <laughs> So the, the first one is glansman's thrombosthenia. Um, so that's the absence of the GP2B3A receptor. So these kids will present with severe mucocutaneous bleeding. And the, the thing with them is that their platelets aren't working. So this starts in infancy. So they'll present with pretty severe bleeding in infancy. So from a hemoc standpoint, you know, this is something that's in the back of our mind. Once we've got this infant with bleeding disorder, like picture that we've ruled out hemophilia, we've ruled out other weird factor things, and you know, they've got platelet counts that are normal or nor near normal, but not really any explanation for their bleeding because everything else has been normal. This is kind of where we start thinking about something like a Glansman's. Okay. Um, the, the same thing with um, Bernard Sumier syndrome, it's GP1B9 complex. Um, we'll put these on our Twitter, guys, too, because. Some of these are, I mean, I can't even remember them, but yes. They're just one of those ones that you kind of have to memorize. Yep. 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 Even if you're Again, same thing. They present, it presents with mucocutaneous bleeding starting in infancy, and they will actually have more often than the other ones some thrombocytopenia in the mild to moderate range. So when we think about mild to moderate thrombocytopenia, we're thinking somewhere in the 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 range. Um, and they'll be macrothrombocytopenic, so it'll be that thing that I talked about that almost only hematology ever looks at, which is the MPV. Um, so their MPV will be pretty high, and they'll be an infant with, you know, so on their screening CBC, when we're looking for thrombocytopenia, they may be low, they may be borderline, um, but they'll also have really large platelets, but they won't sound like an ITP patient because um, they'll have too much kind of mucocutaneous bleeding, and it'll be too early in life. It'll be pretty early in infancy. Okay. 
the next one is gray platelet syndrome, which is kind of named for how the platelets look under um, under the microscope, um, under electron microscopy as well. Um, so it's usually a mild bleeding disorder. Again, it's got big platelets, so it's that macrothrombocytopenia. And this one um, has some other associated symptoms. Splenomegaly is one that pops up with this. Um, and sometimes they can have some myelofibrosis in their marrow. And then the last one that we really think of, and the one that if they aren't trying to confuse you with the complex and receptors, um, the one that I think pops up more often is um, hermansky um, because it actually has more clear symptoms. So it's an oculocutaneous albinism um, picture. So they'll be, you know, kids who have, you know, their dark-haired parents and very blonde child, um, and then they'll have some nystagmus. And then they can also have some mild thrombocytopenia. Their platelets don't work so well. Um, usually they have some mild bleeding, but not anything super severe. And then occasionally in certain subtypes of it, you can get pulmonary fibrosis. So they may have some lung problems um, kind of later on as well. Um, but those kids, we usually just kind of support with platelet transfusion. So that one might pop up because it's an easy one to put a picture of a kid up with. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so they like that sometimes. All right. Um... Just we'll just a little recap. Glansman's thrombasthenia, it's hard to say mm-hmm. actually, is a deficiency in the GP uh, glycoprotein 2B3A receptor, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Bernard Solier syndrome is uh, absence of the glycoprotein 1B9 complex. Mm-hmm. Gray platelet syndrome has some myelofibrosis and splenomegaly associated with it. And they have big plate, big platelets, but not enough of them, right? Mm-hmm. And Hermansky-Pudluck is an oculocutaneous albinism with nystagmus and uh, crappy platelets, right? Yep. We did it. Those are, those are actually tricky. So those are going to be flashcards. All you study years out there, make those flashcards. You'll never remember them unless you're Dr. Shaw. So thanks so much. That was great. Anything else you want to add? Um, nope. Those are kind of our, our big platelet disorders. All right. Well, thanks so much for being with us. Mm-hmm.